From the game gurus at Snakes and Lattes, you're listening to the Snakes Cast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. From Snakes and Lattes, Toronto's premier board game cafe, this is the Snakes Cast, a weekly podcast where the game gurus of Snakes and Lattes discuss what it is about games that make them worth playing. With your host, Jonathan Moriarty. Welcome to the Snakes Cast. This week I'm joined by Scott Moyle. Hello. And Mikhail Honorides. Hi there. And uh, today we're going to talk about another classic game that most of you have uh, probably heard of, if not played. Um, back in the early 20th, late uh, 19th centuries, a French science fiction writer named Jules Verne created a game called Little Wars, which involved moving lots of little soldiers around on a pretend battlefield doing Napoleonic wars and stuff. And firing actual tiny cannons <laughs> and scoring hits based on how many lead men you ruined. Only if you had a really, really nice set. The problem with this game, though, was that uh, it had a lot of rules to it, and modern war games can, to this day, have a lot of fiddly bits to them. But uh, in 1957, another Frenchman, a uh, film director, um, decided to create uh, a game called uh, La Conquête du, du Monde. Um, Albert Lamoris created this game as a simple war game, so anybody could play, even kids. And it was published by Parker Brothers in 1959 under the name Risk. And since that day, a very large number, an unknown number, in fact, of tables have been flipped by frustrated children, teenagers, and adults. Uh, Mikhail, have you, have you ever heard any stories about bad risk experiences? You ever play yourself when you were a kid? Sure. I didn't play too much risk when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But I've heard multiple times from people that their risk games would take all night, or they would get to about three quarters of the game, and it would be a foregone conclusion as to who the victor was. Mm-hmm. And that it always felt as if it was not worth the investment in time, or just in general. So you had some pretty bad experiences with it for the most part. Not, oh, yes. uh, not a lot of positive memories there. Scott, how about you? Uh, I think we, we had a set growing up, um, but we would we would play until we knew who was going to win. Uh, so I've how long did that take usually? Uh, you know, it'd be an afternoon of pushing back and forth. None of us, uh, when I was kids, had figured out that you stick Australia and win. Uh, <laughs> so we would just sort of shove back and forth, trying to win a land war in Asia. And uh, <laughs> as soon as we knew who was going to win, we would. You know, get bored and go play outside. That's a funny thing. You know, that's uh, when, when you get a bunch of game nerds together. You would, uh, you know, most folks would think, oh, risk is going to be a big thing that they're they're going to love. A lot of times, we'd, uh, at the cafe, people coming in, they're looking for like a real gamers type of game. Then the first thing they think of is risk. So it might come into some surprise to discover that it actually, much like Monopoly, which we talked about last week. Uh, has actually kind of a poor reputation among gamers. So uh, besides the, the long playing time that you mentioned, Mikhail, and uh, the, the, you know, the fact that it was often easy to tell ones, are there any other reasons why gamer types, you know, the nerdy types, tend to, to shy away from risk? There's also the huge element of luck involved, mm-hmm. where somebody with a hot hand can <laughs> just roll multiple sixes and completely destroy somebody else's opposing army. I'm sure that's never happened to any of you in the audience before, <laughs> just uh, losing totally. Well, because of course when you lose it is your it is, it is the dice's fault. Mm-hmm. That's how this thing goes. I actually tend to think that as being one of the strengths of risk, is the fact that when you lose a game, you can sort of blame the dice. And it doesn't feel quite so bad. Uh, the, the long playing time is an issue. And you mentioned Australia, Scott, as well. Um, my early experience playing Risk was with my cousin Charles. We played two-player Risk, another thing you should never do. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, he did the Australia thing to me, and that left a sour taste in my mouth for pretty much ever after on the whole Risk thing. Um, so with, with all of these drawbacks, with all these reasons to, uh, to dislike the game, why is Risk still so popular to this day? Why do people enjoy it so much? The theme. Instant appeal. I get to take over the world. Amazing, right? 
Um, Nexus Ops is not a significantly more complicated game, but people don't have any emotional attachment to, you know, Unobtainium City or wherever that <laughs> game is set. Um, there's there's something about trashing the planet we actually live on, yeah, taking uh, over Africa or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. And something about trashing the other players' guys too. I think I mean you can do that in a lot of games, mm -hmm. but uh, there there aren't a lot of other uh, sort of popular games that we know about where you actually get to kill the other players' guys. Yeah, and it's such huge numbers. It looks impressive to have hundreds of little mans on the board. <laughs> the uh, now in nineteen eighty six. Castle Risk was introduced. This was an attempt to sort of make uh, a somewhat more involved, more interesting Risk game, and it kind of went over like a lead balloon. Nobody really dug it. Uh, those of us in North America didn't get to find out about the secret missions cards in Risk until 1993. And you guys ever hear about the secret mission cards? No, I have no idea. No idea. Never. Wow. Okay, this is a huge thing in Europe. Uh, apparently, this and and also apparently, you know, your your, your big time Risk players here love these things. You would get a, se a secret mission card at the beginning of the game, which tells you what you actually have to do to win. That, uh, that long playtime, that slog, taking so long to get to the end. Uh, well, if all you have to do is take over you know, two continents, or if all you have to do is wipe a specific player off the map, and then reveal your mission card and win, you think, you think that would make the game a bit more attractive to you? Quite Absolutely. I and mean, the basic mechanic of Risk isn't, isn't that bad. It's, it's kind of okay. Um, if that solves the, the length thing, that sounds great. Yeah, you know, attacker rolls three dice, defender rolls two dice, ties go to the defenders. It's pretty balanced, and uh, but it does favor bringing in big groups. Uh, you, you, I don't know if you guys care about the math behind this stuff, but uh, if you bring a really big army, and they also have a really big army, that's better for the attacker than if you bring a small army, and they also have a small army. Right. So, because it you have longer for the right. That it, makes it, sense. It, it basically yeah. favors bringing overwhelming force to the battle. Yep. Um, my big problem with Risk actually was never the luck, and it was never the uh, even the Australia thing, which I hated. Uh, it was the fact that it's a war game that punishes you for attacking people, for being aggressive. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, to, to me, a good war game, you should win it by killing people. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, you know, you play three player Risk, player A attacks player B, player C wins. Yes. That's pretty much uh, the end of it right there. So. Um, what do you think would have to happen in the game of Risk in order to make it so that you guys would really want to play? Well, you, you, you keep the good stuff. You keep the, the map of the world. You keep the rolling dice to kill stuff. What has to happen for you to want to play that game? I really think that the versions of Risk that they're releasing these days have done quite a bit in order to make me want to play them. Are you talking about the revised Granted, edition? Yes. Granted, like, I don't really take the time to go play them, but <laughs> they've added the mission chevrons, like you've said, which where you complete two or three objectives and you win the game altogether. And I believe the Metal Gear Solid edition of Risk added a mobile platform yep. called Outer Heaven, which allows you to move around the board as sort of a country that can go from place to place. Um, I think that does a lot to break up landlocks, especially in the much-hated Australia. Um, yeah. Plus, you know, Metal Gear. Yeah. yeah. Plus Metal Gear. Risk 2210 AD, which I like a lot, solves, uh, solves part of that problem by having other ways to get around the board. So the basic map of the world is the same, uh, but it solves some of the game design problems inherent in the, uh, the unbalanced board that is Earth, um, <laughs> where now there are uh, naval territories. Now you need to invest in a particular type of unit to get into those naval territories. But right, you now, get these, uh, you've got five kinds of leaders now, right? You've got like, exactly. uh, land leader, uh, ocean leader. Yeah, space uh, leader. So you can go to the moon. There's, yeah, there's actually a moon. There is map. a moon board, and basically any, uh, any space on the board that you've built a spaceport in, uh, or taken someone else's spaceport in, uh, is adjacent to any spaceport territory on the moon. 
cracked. So now all of a sudden, everything is potentially adjacent to everything. And it, so much for those bottlenecks. Yeah, yep. it throws the bottlenecks out the window. It's fantastic. And of course, there's everybody's favorite, the nuclear commander, yes. which lets you fire missiles at any territory you want. Yep. Uh, it Not does have the drawback of being a little bit on the complicated side, but uh, yeah, as Mikhail was saying, there's lots of There's the Clone Wars one, which had the Order 66 thing. You've got uh, the Republic against the Separatists. Uh, the Republic player starts out really strong, and they're just trying to wipe out the Separatists. But every turn, the Emperor marker moves a little bit farther along the track. And at any time, the Separatist player can do the Order 66 thing. And the farther along that's gone, the more Republic territories are going to flip Ooh, and cool. become okay. Separatist. Um, after that, they got to put the Emperor on the board, and if you kill it, you win. But uh, uh, by far the game, the, the Risk variant that's gotten the most attention around here, despite the fact that it's totally unplayable, it's snakes and lattes for various reasons, is Risk Legacy. Yeah. You guys heard about this one? I have, I have. played it top to bottom. What did you think of it? I absolutely loved it, and I cannot wait to get another copy. I'm going to rebuy the game and do it again. <laughs> so uh, how, does, how does it work? What's the deal with Risk Legacy? Okay, so the initial board is the board you know and love, or hate, or whatever. Um, and everybody gets their starting, uh, you know, picks an army out of the box, and they're different miniatures. Some of the guys are bear cavalry, and some of them have tanks and whatever. Um, more games should have bear cavalry. More games should have bear cavalry, yeah. Um, the Smash Up expansion, Riding Bears. Nice. Yep. Um, so everybody, uh, everybody takes a card, and it'll have a couple of different options for your faction's starting power. And you take one of those stickers, and you stick it on your your sort of board for that faction, and then you rip up the card and the other sticker. And they do that to get you in the habit of destroying the game components. It's great anytime somebody has to rip up their first card and they sit there and go, but I don't want, but somebody worked really hard on this, but this is really, oh. Um, and by the end of it, you're, you know, fighting over the right to shred the next game component. Um, everything matters for keeps in Risk Legacy. So if I play a card that reinforces a territory with a, uh, with a fortification, I take a sticker off that card, I slap it on the board, and that space is fortified for good now. Every time it gets attacked, you put a little tick on it, and when it has, I think, 12 ticks when all the boxes are full, it's no longer a fortification. It's been attacked so many times that it's gone. You can put cities on the board as a prize for winning the game, and your mans, and only your mans, uh, get a bonus in that city. If you win the game, you get to name a continent. Um, our board has Scottopia and Todgia on it. Um, and uh, the continent bonus you get, the extra free armies you get for holding that continent, uh, the bonus is increased by one if you named that continent. Um, is, is this game even still recognizable as Risk? Um, at first it is, but give it five or six games, and uh, the map is different. There are backdoors to Australia from the alien landings, and there are new factions that come out when certain conditions occur. So uh, you start with basically Risk, and then every time you get to the end of a game... You hack it. You customize it a little bit more. Absolutely, but the basic amazing. mechanic is still there. I roll three dice, you roll two, ties go to the defender. You know, the basic mechanic is still exactly the same. The powers that, that they give you sort of jive with the base mechanic. Things like uh, re-roll one die per turn, or uh, you know, spend a missile to, uh, to re-roll all of your dice, or you know, now you can spawn in non-adjacent territories because you've got tunnelers or whatever. Well, that helps with that luck element. Really it really, it really does. It does mean that the game is wildly asymmetrical. If you have a couple of games uh, where you win, then the next time you sit down, Everybody has you know has you in their sights because you legitimately start out with a bonus, a series of bonuses that unbalance the game in your favor. That said, that's what happens in Risk 
anyway, right? That's really what Risk is all, is, is all about. People talk about it like it's a strategy game, but Risk has always been a game of negotiation. Absolutely. You this don't, you don't win Risk. Meat. Exactly. You, know, you, you don't win Risk by being the best strategist. You win Risk by convincing that guy over there to attack him instead of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, it's, with all the stuff in there, Mikhail, do you think you and other people who aren't really big Risk fans would be more attracted to it if uh, there's more of the stuff in there? Yeah, of course. Um, I always won Risk in the few times that I played it by being the most inconspicuous player at the table. <laughs> And anything that will allow me to draw further attention to other players <laughs> would make me feel happy and make me want to play the game a lot more. Well, so there you have it, folks. It's not a game that you can really play at the cafe because you need to have your own copy. So you can, per you can personally mess with it. But we are happy to sell it to you. We're also happy to introduce you to Lord of the Rings Risk, Risk 2210 AD, Risk Metal Gear Solid. Uh, I believe there's a Risk Mass Effect that's going to be on its way real soon. Just got announced. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an oldie. But it's, 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 it's fundamentally a very sturdy engine. It's, you, you move into people's territories, take over their stuff, and that is the secret to its ongoing success. And we hope you'll be able to introduce you to, some, uh, to this sort of thing the next time you visit Snakes and Lattes. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Jonathan Moriarty with Scott Moyle, and the kale owner it is. Yep. See you later. Game on. And thanks for listening. We'll have a new Snakes cast for you every week at snakesandlattes.com. In the meantime... You can follow us through your favorite social networking sites, such as Facebook and Twitter, or best of all, meet our gurus in person at Snakes and Lattes in Toronto. Until then, this is P.T. Douglas. Game on.